must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And welcome to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about, you guessed it, great men. Specifically, great men from American history. Now, I know what you may be thinking right now. How could it be possible that a college student could possibly judge the character of some of the men in our history and call them great? Especially when many of them had tremendous faults and made loads of mistakes. I mean, for crying out loud, more than half of the Founding Fathers owned slaves. My response to that would be this. Yes, many of the men in our history were flawed and made choices that were most definitely not commendable. But I am here to give you the facts. If we take a closer look into the lives of these men, we can better understand just where they're coming from. A lot of people we will focus on have lived through more tragedy and more grief than most people in the 21st century will ever know or understand. Wars, adultery, child loss, and illness all play into the effect of how a person lives their life and makes decisions. For greatness is not about the number of mistakes one makes, but the number of times one overcomes those mistakes and perseveres through hardships. If you listened to my previous episode, you know that I've been talking about men from the Great War for the past few weeks. In the past three episodes, I have highlighted John Pershing, the Harlem Hellfighters, and Alvin York. Today will be my final episode on World War I before I move on to highlighting men from World War II. Today, I will be talking about Humphrey Bogart. He was a soldier who fought in the Great War, and he was also a famous American actor. Although Bogart did not play a huge part in the war, he still willingly enlisted in the Navy in 1918 when the United States was in the midst of conflict. I also think it is important for us to realize that the soldiers who fought in this war are more than names that we may find in a textbook. They are real people with real families, and in order for us to understand history and make it feel personal to us, I think it's really important that we look at the soldier's life after the war to gain an even deeper appreciation for them. I will spend the first half of today's episode talking about Bogart's life, and then the second half I will be talking about the end of World War I and the effect that it had on the soldiers who returned home. After we have spent the past four weeks getting to know individual soldiers in the war, I thought it was only proper to give them a solid ending. Bogart was born on December 25, 1899, to an extremely wealthy family. His father was a cardiopulmonary surgeon, and his mother was a very known illustrator. With their two incomes combined, they were able to provide a pretty cushioned and privileged life for their son. He attended private school with the most elite teachers, but he had no interest in learning or in showing an ounce of respect for authority. 
Bogart hated anything pretentious or elitist, so as a result of this, he would rebel against pretty much anything his parents wanted him to do or to succeed in. It was not only the hatred of elitism that caused him to rebel. He was also extensively bullied throughout his school years for many reasons. His mother forced him to wear formal clothes that most boys his age wouldn't wear. Kids would also make fun of his name for they thought it to be quite comical and even effeminate. Also, his mother was an illustrator and she used his baby photos for baby food advertisement. And as you can imagine, he was picked on a lot for this. His parents were also very career obsessed. They did not spend quality time, yet alone any time, with their son. He grew up without the support and influence of his parents. Aside from career or college advice, his parents didn't really have much to offer him. This caused major issues in the life of Bogart and is probably the biggest reason why he was rebellious in his young years. He was a poor student in every sense. He was disrespectful, made poor grades, and he wasn't super friendly to other students. Because his parents always sent him to the most expensive school in town, he attended an elite boarding school called Phillips Academy. Now, fun fact about this academy, John Adams was actually the headmaster there at one point. During Bogart's senior year, he got into Yale, but by no doing of his own. His parents had such good connections that he was able to get into Yale even with his bad reputation and failing grades. However, during his senior year, he was expelled from this boarding school for allegedly pushing the headmaster into a pond that was on campus. Now, if this doesn't tell you how stubborn and rebellious Bogart was as a teenager, I'm not sure what will. After being expelled from his boarding school his senior year, no prestigious college would accept him, not even with his parents' connections. Instead of finishing school elsewhere, Bogart wanted to do something that would actually make a difference and something he would actually enjoy for once in his life. He decided to enlist in the Navy in 1918. The United States was still involved in the Great War during this time, but he still enlisted without hesitation. It probably helped that his parents were against this decision, and so of course that only increased his interest. When Bogart finally arrived in Europe, he appeared to be a changed man. He was a stellar, outstanding soldier. He had finally found a place where he could be free from judgment and he could live his life in the way that he wanted to. He was dutiful in his service to the United States and was looked up to by many of his comrades. He spent most of his service time ferrying troops back and forth between the U.S. and Europe. After Bogart returned home from his service to the Navy, he did not really know what he wanted to do with his life. He had a friend who was an actress, and she said she put in a good word for him at her job. Acting was something Bogart always wanted to get into, and this seemed like a perfect opportunity for him. After picking up a few small roles here and there, he decided that acting was his passion, and this is exactly what he wanted to pursue. Bogart portrayed many roles during his acting career, but since I do not want this to be the main focus 
in today's episode, I'll just fast forward to his most well-known acting role. He became even more well-known when he starred as Rick Blaine in the movie Casablanca. Instead of telling you about this movie, I'm going to play the audio from one of the most well-known scenes in this movie. To provide a little background to this scene, Bogart is playing Rick Blaine, who has just seen his ex-lover with another man. He's heartbroken and one of his workers is trying to see why he is down. He then tells his worker to play a song on the piano that reminds him of his time spent with his ex-lover. But enough of me telling you about this, I'll just let you hear it for yourself. I grab Ugati, then she walks in. Well, that's the way it goes. One in, one out. Sam. Yes, boss. It's December 1941 in Casablanca. What time is it in New York? What? My watch stopped. I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. What's that you're playing? Oh, just a little something on my own. Oh, stop it. You know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you play it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Yes, boss. was an actor loved by many, but he did not truly become a legend until after his death. He died at the very young age of 57 due to cancer. It was not until after his death in 1999 that the American Film Institute selected Bogart as the greatest male star of classic American cinema. He left behind a wife and two children who would always remember his legacy. The men who fought in World War I displayed great courage and bravery, which is why I am featuring them on my show, Great Men Back Then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. So, there we have it. The end of the World War I series. If you have not been following each episode, I'll give you a brief summary of each person we have covered in honor of today being the last day I talk about World War I for a while. I first highlighted General John Pershing, the man who led the American Expeditionary Forces in Europe. He is most well known for his refusal to filter in American soldiers with European soldiers. That way, the American troops could enter into war as a powerful force. This ended up immensely hurting the German morale and eventually led to the armistice. The following week, I talked about the Harlem Hellfighters, And in that particular episode, I highlighted not just one man, but the group of men in general, and I also dove into the personal lives of a few individuals in the regiment as well. The Harlem Hellfighters were an African-American regiment who fought more than any other American combat unit. They displayed extreme bravery and selflessness, and if it weren't for the color of their skin, many of them would have returned home with the Medal of Honor. 
Last week, I featured Alvin York, and he is probably my favorite person out of the series. I love how his unique, simple background contributed to his glory days as a soldier. Growing up, York had to hunt for food to keep his family fed, and he developed the great skill of shooting because of this. And this later helped him capture or kill an entire German fort. He is remembered because he was the first common soldier to become a national hero, yet he always kept his humility. I now want to play the audio from the movie made in 2018 called They Shall Not Grow Old. I think rather despondent. They knew they had lost the war. We as frontline soldiers knew they were giving up. Quite frankly, the Germans were fed up with the whole thing. And gradually, that is how the war itself came to an end. I got the impression that most of the German soldiers couldn't care less who won as long as the war finished. Because that's what everybody was thinking about then. We'd had enough. And after a time, perhaps nobody cared. All right, boys, here it comes. We're in the pictures. <laughs> There's a fellow in the war called Rumor. He knows everything, you see. And Mr. Rumor told us that the Germans were also negotiating for an armistice. There was a huge poster. All hostilities will cease on the Western Front at 11 o'clock on the 11th of November, 1918. So we said to each other, what day is it? And somebody discovered it was November the 11th. And then we had to shine our boots and clean our buttons. We knew the war was over then. And we were quite confident that we would be there when it ended. This proclamation was read out stating that the hostilities were ceased from 11 that morning and actually there wasn't a cheer of any kind raised when that was read out. At 11 o'clock, the noise of the gunfire just rolled away like a peal of thunder in the distance. Never heard it being quiet. Now it's dead silent. You were so dazed that you could stand up straight and not be shot. It was eerie. There was a feeling of relief and gladness, I suppose, but no celebration. The staff officer shut his watch up and said, I wonder what we're all going to do next. There was no demonstration of any kind. Nobody said a word. Everybody just slumped away. The only way we could have celebrated with regards to a liquid would have been tea, at all. It was one of the flattest moments of our lives. We just couldn't comprehend it. We had that sort of feeling that we'd been kicked out of a job. To some of us, it was practically the only life we'd known. What was one going to do next? It was just like being made redundant. That was very much the feeling of everyone. We were thoroughly upset. We've all got no work to go to. I don't want to go back. There was no cheering, no singing. We were drained of all emotion. We were too far gone, too exhausted to enjoy it. All things come to an end, and even a drama can go on too long. It didn't end with a whimper, but something very much like one. So you may be wondering, why did I spend the past month featuring men from World War I? 
I mean, out of all the things I could have talked about, why this? I will answer this question by reading a poem by Lawrence Binion. This poem is called For the Fallen. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal, sing sorrow up the immortal spears. There is music in the mist of desolation, and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle, they were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted, they fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old, as we that are left to grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. They mingle not with their laughing comrades again. They sit no more at familiar tables of home. They have no lot in our labor of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. But where our desires are and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight, to the innermost heart of their own land they are known, as the stars are known to the night, as the stars that shall be bright when we are dust, moving in marches upon the heavenly plain, as the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness, to the end, to the end, they remain. The men who fought in World War I displayed great courage and bravery, which is why I am featuring them on my show, Great Men Back Then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Although there were men who were privileged enough to return home, there were countless men who did not grow old. They did not get to return home to their families. They became one with the earth as their souls separated from their bodies. All in the name of freedom, they died for us. They died for our children and our grandchildren and for all the generations to come. These men who did not know us. They knew that many would take their sacrifice for granted, yet they fought. Our problems are so minute compared to what these men went through. Also, while I'm talking about the sacrifices made in World War I, it was not just the men. There were women who did not get a blink of sleep because they were worried about their husbands fighting in the war. These women labored on not knowing if they would ever see their loved ones again. They were expected to raise their children and go on about life as if nothing was wrong. These people are to be commended. These people should not be forgotten. I want to play another audio from the same movie that talks about how life was when the soldiers returned home. I was horrified by what I saw when I came back here and when one tried to get a job. There was mass unemployment. And I thought, this isn't much of a life. It was a most difficult thing to realize you're of no commercial value. It was a shame the way ex-servicemen were treated. They weren't wanted. Some places said no ex-servicemen need apply. And that was the sort of attitude you were up against. One of my pals was killed. And when I went home, the very first thing that I did was go to his mother, who was never that fine, wanted to visit me. Her son had been killed and that I'd come back alive. She was very bitter. The first night I came home, I got into my old bed. It's the first bed I'd laid in since I joined the army. 
When mother brought my cup of tea up in the morning, she found me fast asleep on the floor. People never talked about the war. It was a thing that had no conversational value at all. Most people were absolutely disinterested. When I got home, my father and my mother didn't seem in the least interested in what had happened. They hadn't any conception of what it was like. And there was no reason why any one of us millions could have been favoured with a thank you very much for having got a little bit muddier and more out of touch with good manners. And on occasions when I did talk about it, my father would argue points of fact that he couldn't possibly have known about because he wasn't there. Every soldier I've spoken to experienced the same thing. We were a race apart from the civilians. And you could speak to your comrades and they understood, but the civilians, it was just a waste of time. However nice and sympathetic they were, attempts of well-meaning people to sympathize reflected the fact that they didn't really understand at all. I think the magnitude was just beyond their comprehension. They didn't understand that people that you'd known and played football with were just killed beside you. My friend who enlisted with me, and he just laid there like a sack of rags until he went black before anybody troubled to bury him. They knew that people came back covered with mud and lice, but they had no idea of the strain of sitting in a trench and waiting for something to drop on one's head. You couldn't convey the awful state of things where you live like animals and behave like animals. People didn't seem to realize what a terrible thing war was. I think they felt that the war was one continual cavalry charge. They hadn't any conception, how could they? Well, it started off in a reasonable manner. It was people fighting on horseback with swords, but it developed into something ghastly. People don't realize the potential of military equipment. A man's life wasn't worth anything at the end of the war. We're none of us heroes, you know. We didn't like this business of being killed at all. When we were talking among ourselves, we used to say, Christ, they won't have any more wars like this. How did we endure it? The answer must be partly the fear of fear. The fear of being found afraid. Another is belief in human beings, your colleague, and there's no letting him down. There may be right on both sides, but I think war is horrible. Everything should be done to avoid war. I still can't see the justification for it. It was all really rather horrible. I think history will decide in the end that it was not worthwhile. The only thing that really did annoy me was that when I went back to work, after I'd got demobilized, I went down the stores, and the bloke behind the counter was a bloke who I knew. He said, where have you been? On nights. I find these words to be so powerful, and I hope that you do too. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about great men who shaped our nation and to what it is today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you will join us next week as we talk about men from World War II. Again, you've been listening to Great Men Back Then on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.